Tennessee Valley. This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller and we're broadcasting live online and on the radio from the heart of the Tennessee Valley, the Spice Radio Studio in Huntsville, Alabama. Today, Jacob has the day off. Congrats again on your wedding. So I'm joined by two special guest hosts this morning. We've got updates from the Department of Labor. We talk the good, the bad, and the ugly of Alabama politics and the legislative session. A lot of ugly there and discuss some local stories here in the Tennessee Valley. And in overtime, we're talking to AFGE about the debt limit. All that and more on today's Valley Labor Report. If you wanna be part of the program today, we've got a phone number and the line is open. You can call or text 844-899-TVLR. That's 844-899-8857. You can send us a text. You can leave us a voicemail throughout the week and we'll check that out. I think we do have a couple voicemails for us to check, so looking forward to hearing that. If you haven't gotten enough of us by the time we wrap our hour and a half here on the radio, or if you just want to see what we're up to throughout the week, you can find us online, anywhere you can find anything online, uh, at the Valley Labor Report. And a reminder that your support keeps us on the air. Our largest single source of funding comes directly from our listeners, and we truly, truly appreciate you. If you want to become a sustaining member of the program, make a one-time donation or buy our new merch like our shirts that just came in a couple weeks ago, you can go to tvlr.fm or you can go to patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. And if you're a member of a union, you should talk to your local about sponsoring the show. Uh, We're always looking for new advertisers and if your union would like to get a message out to union allies and activists across the Tennessee Valley and across the South, hit us up. Uh, And not just unions, but if you have a union print shop, if you have a nonprofit organization or a media outlet, a political organization, any kind of club or or entity uh, or union-friendly business that might want to advertise with us, just let us know. Uh, And also want to add a disclaimer that any viewpoints or opinions expressed in this program belong solely to their author and do not necessarily represent any organization or sponsor. We welcome all of our listeners, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, WVNN, WZZA, WHIV, or through your favorite podcast app. We are proud to be part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, and we encourage our listeners to check that out. And I really appreciate y'all tuning in this morning. Uh, It's a little bit of a different episode because, as I mentioned at the top, Jacob is off today. Uh, Our fearless leader, who's typically here in the lead role, Uh, So I'm stepping up in the lead role this morning. I have two special guests with me. Uh, First, uh, we have returning is Ben Job, Spice Radio extraordinaire. What's up, y'all? 
happy to be here this fine morning. I got my threads on, the union threads. Absolutely. Check out the new. The I don't have the new one though. The new ones like it's even it's even better, y'all. It's, it keeps getting better. So grab yeah. those threads. Check it out. Check it out. So I appreciate Ben being here with us, uh, and also have with me Tahira Osborne. Welcome. Hey, hey. I'm just an organizer and activist and all around general rabble rouser based here in Huntsville. Absolutely. Uh, and you have been a longtime uh, activist. I've seen you around pretty much every protest I've ever been to or, or you know, organizing meeting. Uh, she's been there and she has also been a big help to the Valley Labor Report. So we really appreciate you and appreciate you joining this morning and sitting in with us. Yeah, happy to be here this morning. So we've got a lot to talk about today. Um, we don't have any guests in the main show today. We do have a guest in overtime, so you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, there is just so much news to talk about, especially uh, here in Alabama. Uh, but before we get to the local and state stories, I did want to mention a couple of updates from the Department of Labor that I did not want to go unnoticed. So last Sunday was Mother's Day, and we hope all the mothers and mother figures had a great day. It's worth remembering that Mother's Day originated as a call for international peace by mothers tired of seeing their sons and husbands killed in war. Calls for improved public health were also a big part of the original efforts. And on the subject of Mother's Day, I wanted to highlight this release, this recent release from the Department of Labor. A U.S. Department of Labor report finds the impact of caregiving on mothers' wages reduces lifetime earnings by 15%. So U.S. Department of Labor and elected federal officials held a media briefing on May 11th to discuss the release of a report by the department's Women's Bureau on how caring for family has long-term impacts on a mother's lifetime earnings. Women's Bureau Director Wendy Shun-Hoon and U.S. Representatives Gwen Moore, Susan Wild, and Chantel Brown shared findings from their report called Lifetime Employment-Related Costs to Women of Providing Family Care. Women's Bureau Senior Advisor Sarah Jane Glenn also took part in the briefing. The report finds the amount of time women spend providing essential care to children and adults has a substantial personal economic cost that continues long after the caregiving ends. The estimated employment-related cost for mothers providing unpaid care averages $295,000 over a lifetime based on the U.S. Uh, dollar value of 2021. Unpaid family caregiving reduces a mother's lifetime earnings by 15%, which also, of course, creates a reduction in retirement income. Families often think first of immediate demands out of necessity. Children, aging loved ones, and people with disabilities need care right now. And when that care is needed during working hours or is too expensive or inaccessible, it is the mothers who usually scale back on paid work to provide care explained Women's Bureau Director Wendy Shanhoon. This report shows that lacking the necessary care infrastructure and safety net affects more than those immediate moments. They continue throughout a woman's life. Unpaid caregiving is work and should be recognized as such. This report is another reminder of the long-term costs women incur by providing unpaid care, and it cannot go ignored, said Congresswoman Gwen Moore. I'm working to ensure our federal policies support those providing unpaid care to loved ones, uplifting women and their families so we can build an equitable, modern economy. 
Women spend invaluable time providing compassionate, dedicated care for their children and family members, and their reduced lifetime earnings because of it illustrate just how important solving the child care crisis is, said Congresswoman Susan Wilde. Lack of accessible, affordable child care in Pennsylvania impacts our economy to the tune of more than $6 billion per year, harming working moms and working families' ability to earn more and get ahead. The report is also a call to action. All families should have access to affordable child care if we want to have an inclusive economy, said Congresswoman Chantel Brown. Families across the nation and from all demographics are struggling with high child care costs. The fi this financial burden is especially high in historically marginalized communities, including black mothers, as they are the least likely to scale back employment after having children due to uh, challenging economic conditions. A lack of affordable care puts so much pressure on families. Black women deserve the ability to build wealth and build a family. Our children, mothers, and families in Northeast Ohio deserve better. Again, that's from Congresswoman Chantel Brown. So this also is likely a conservative estimate. This uh, reduction of 15% um, is likely that that's actually an underestimate of the cost of caregiving on a woman's earnings throughout their life. And I think this is important research and an important reminder of the sacrifices made by mothers and caregivers and how far we still have to go towards equity. So thank you again to all the mothers and in the original spirit of Mother's Day, let us move forward together to advance international peace and the health care of all of our families. Amen to that. Yeah, absolutely appreciate the Department of Labor putting that out, uh, you know, timing it with Mother's Day. Very cool. Uh, the results of the report, not so cool. Uh, definitely don't want to hear that, that, uh, you know, by just being a mother, your earnings are going to be reduced. Yeah. But it's it makes sense. Uh, and I think about, you know, the mother of my child, my own wife, who uh, in her case, it took her years to recover her sick leave. Right. She had to take so much of her sick leave uh, between pregnancy and childbirth. And of course, when you have a little one, they get sick a lot. They have to go to appointments a lot. Um, and I mean, she's lucky that she had paid sick leave. Right. Not all workers have that. So, uh, yeah, really important research from the Department of Labor. I would like to point out that pregnancy and having children is also not sickness. The fact that we have to use sick care in order to be able to provide care for our children is itself a problem. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there is a lack of paid family and medical leave in this country, which is really a unique thing to this country. Uh, most families across the globe get some form of paid family and medical leave. Right. But we do not in the United States of America. And even again, sticking with the example of my wife, who is a teacher, Public school teachers in Alabama don't get maternity leave. And this is a profession that is roughly 80% female, right? It's just, it's, it's wild. And if anyone should understand the importance of family and the importance of mothers being with their children, it, it's educators. So, you know, that's just an example, but uh, definitely something that we have to be cognizant of in our labor movement and the ways in which inequities still play out across gender roles. And the next update I had from the Department of Labor is actually about our mining brothers and sisters. 
So the U.S. Department of Labor held its inaugural Stand Down to Save Lives to promote and emphasize minor safety and health and stop the rise in minor fatalities. The U.S. Department of Labor announced last week that the Mine Safety and Health Administration, MSHA, would hold its first Stand Down to Save Lives on May 17th as part of a national campaign to encourage the nation's mining community to take steps to prevent injuries and illnesses and stop an alarming rise in the number of miners killed on the job in 2023. So far this year, 18 miners have suffered fatal workplace injuries at U.S. mines, six more than at this same point in time last year. These fatal incidents have involved vehicle collisions, electrocutions, falls from elevated surfaces, equipment rollovers, and drowning. As part of the event, MSHA is calling on the industry to increase its focus on training, workplace examinations, and other safety and health requirements designed to protect miners. The agency encourages the entire mining community, miners, operators, and unions to set aside time during the week of May 15th through 19th to stress the importance of safety and health in and around U.S. mines. On May 17th, MSHA leadership visited mines in Maryland and Virginia to stress the importance of safety in the workplace. Federal law holds mine, mine owners and operators responsible for proper training, adequate personal protective equipment, and safe operation of equipment and machinery. The event follows an April 14, 2023 open letter from Assistant Secretary for Mine Safety and Health, Chris Williamson, to the entire mining community in which he urged everyone to work together and stay vigilant to prevent accidents and fatalities. The Mine Safety and Health Administration's inaugural Stand Down to Save Lives continues our education and outreach efforts to reduce fatalities, serious injuries, and illnesses in the mining industry, said the Assistant Secretary, Chris Williamson. Miners are safer and healthier than when the entire mining community works together, and we encourage everyone to dedicate time and resources to focus on protecting the nation's miners. As part of the campaign, MSHA has established a Stand Down to Save Lives webpage with resources for the mining community, including a toolkit for participants to use during the events. Uh, with best safety and health practices in mind, the agency asked mine operators and miners to focus on the following. Owners and operators, how can you improve safety and health programs, maintenance of equipment, and hazard reporting to make them more effective? Supervisors and managers, how can you improve training and workplace examinations? Have you addressed any concerns raised prior to your shift? And minors, do you have properly fitted personal protective equipment? And are you fully trained on any equipment you're operating? Another resource to assist minors is MSHA's Minor Safety and Health app, which provides timely information directly to minors and others in the mining community. The app allows users to review and understand miners' rights and responsibilities, search and use best safety and health practices, and receive notifications of mining accidents and how to prevent them. And the free app is available in both English and Spanish for Android and iPhone. And you can search Miner Safety and Health at the app stores. So I would add to this press release from the Department of Labor to say, you know, they address miners, they address the managers, they address the owners. What about government? Where, you know, where's MSHA calling itself out and reminding itself uh, to be more aggressive in its enforcement regulation? Uh, and of course, they need funding to do that. 
Uh, and like many agencies across government that's meant to protect workers, uh, there's not enough staff there to do the job adequately. So that, that would be my two cents to add into that. And, and of course, on this note of talking about the miners and their safety, we want to extend our love and solidarity with the UMWA brothers and sisters down in Brookwood who are still fighting for the fair contract they deserve from Warrior Matt Cole. And I might add on to that point, if you go to AL uh, Political or ALReporter.com, the Alabama Political Reporter, they have a uh, newer article uh, that we are in the top 10 of the most deadly places to work in uh, the U.S. of A. So we're number seven, apparently, with a 5.5% fatality rate out of 100K. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, just... Real, real issues. Yeah, an- another case of Alabama bringing up the rear. And, you know, Jacob and I talked a little bit about this with uh, Workers Memorial Day uh, and some of the information the AFL-CIO has put out. And, in fact, in that Alabama Political Reporter article, uh, our own Jacob Morrison is quoted in that article... Oh, yeah, I forgot he is on that article today. Yeah, as is uh, (laughs) a local legislator, uh, Anthony Daniels. Um, And I I just encourage you to check out that article uh, and see for yourself what uh, Jacob had to say, but also see for yourself what uh, Representative Daniels had to say and get back to us on your thoughts about that. So uh, moving on, I did want to mention a little bit about uh, what we have coming up in overtime because we do have a great guest coming. Right now, we're in our main show, which airs live on WVNN in the Athens-Huntsville listening area and is rebroadcast on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. In case you didn't know, we have an entire second half of the program called Overtime starting at 11 a.m., live-streamed on our Facebook and YouTube channels at the Valley Labor Report. While our main show tends to have more of a local Tennessee Valley and Alabama focus, And over time, we broaden the scope to discuss more national and international stories, respond to corporate media, and plenty of other things. Uh, And of course, OT is a little looser since it's online only and free of the FCC censors, so we can can use the curse words on there. Um, (laughs) It's always fun. Uh, and sometimes the things we talk about will make you want to cuss. So uh, both halves of our Saturday show are released as podcasts on your favorite apps a couple days later, uh, alongside our Thursday morning series called Shop Talk, which is dedicated to labor education, history, and training. Uh, had a great interview with a brother from the Teamsters this week, Jason Ide, who talked all about what to, what to do when you actually win. Uh, particularly, you know, if you win union office. So I thought it was a great interview. So y'all check that out. Shop Talk airs every Thursday. Uh, and throughout the week, segments and interviews are actually clipped and released as YouTube videos. So if there's something in particular that you missed or you're curious about, we do try to make it easy to find. And all of this content is for free, which we can do thanks to our great advertisers and the generous donations of listeners like you. So today in overtime, we'll be talking with Jackie Simon, who is public policy director with AFGE about the debt limit crisis, what it means for government workers like their members, and what it means for all of us across the country. To give you a preview, I wanted to play this digital ad that AFGE has been running. Uh, ben, can you cue that up for us? Yeah, give me just a second. We'll have that. 
What happens if Congress fails to raise the debt ceiling? The Treasury Department is already using extraordinary measures to meet our obligations. Further delay could endanger funding for critical programs like Social Security, Medicare, Veterans Benefits, Border Security, Federal Prisons, and the U.S. Military, and even delay your tax refund. Join together with 750,000 workers represented by the American Federation of Government Employees. Click here to contact Congress today and tell them to protect these critical programs and the American people. Tell them to raise the debt ceiling now. The American Federation of Government Employees. We work for America. So that's an idea of AFGE's message right now when it comes to the debt limit crisis. So stay tuned at 11 o'clock in overtime for our interview with AFGE Public Policy Director Jackie Simon for a more in-depth discussion. And with that, we're going to go to our very first uh, short commercial break. And when we return, we're going to go back to Montgomery for a legislative update. So stay tuned. IBW558 is like a great football team. You've got to have the aptitude, skills, and knowledge to outperform the competition. If you're a non-union electrician, now is the perfect time to get off the sideline and join our team. We have the absolute best wages and benefit package in North Alabama and Southern Tennessee. It's because our team stands together, bargains together, and our families benefit from it. With immediate openings, you have the opportunity to see why the IBW is the right choice. Support for the Valley Labor Report comes from the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers Union. Learn more by visiting www.ifpte.org. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have stood with the working people of Alabama for over 40 years, providing skilled legal representation for your workplace injury claims. When you are injured on the job, it can be a scary time. The attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs have the experience to guide you through the process to make sure that you and your family are properly taken care of and your rights are protected. If you need help, call the attorneys at Maples, Tucker, and Jacobs at 855-617-9333 or visit online at www.mtnj.com. No representation is made that the quality of legal services provided is greater than the quality of legal services provided by other law firms. Support for this program comes from the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 136, out of Central Alabama. Learn more at IBEW136.org. Attention union members, membership organizations, podcasters, or anyone with a payment processing need. The future is here, and your organization needs to be prepared by working with Unionly. With Unionly, your union or organization can take payments on a mobile device, eliminating processing fees, giving you a better price than other payment processing methods, while at the same time supporting a union-friendly business with a specialized skill set to meet your needs. Your members will thank you when they pay their dues at their convenience without waiting in line to deposit cash or check. Start preparing for the future today by calling 206-595-8631 or visiting unionly.io. Are you looking for a better future, a career that can have you set for life, and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself? If you are, then consider a skilled trades apprenticeship with the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades. The work of IUPAT is all around us, from the industrial painters who work on the bridges to drywall finishers, floor coverers, the glazers who install the glass in our skylines, and so much more. With an IUPAT apprenticeship, you earn while you learn and receive benefits while learning the trade, including a pension. We provide world-class education free of charge. That's right, no student debt. 
Our starting salaries for apprentices that graduate is above the national median salary with benefits for entire families. And you have the flexibility to take your trade wherever you'd like in the country to work. IUPAT District Council 77 covers our entire region, so give Adam Booth a call at 205-603-3142 for more information. Again, that phone number is 205-603-3142. Come build a better future with us today and join IUPAT. The sign hit the city like a bolt of lightning. You know the photo. It's iconic. Marches in the streets, holding a simple sign with a simple message. I am a man. The I Am Story podcast explores the fight that inspired those words. How a group of sanitation workers in Memphis stood up and made history. They don't see us as men and women. Go to IamStory.com or wherever you get your podcasts to subscribe. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, you need a lawyer who's with you. Senior Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senior Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senior Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senior Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senior Law. The name with proven results. Labor creates all wealth. All wealth should go to labor. And you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller. My typical co-host, Jacob Morrison, has the day off today. So Tahira and Ben are joining me here in Spice Radio Studio. If you have anything to add, you can give us a call or send us a text. The phone number is 844-899-TVLR. And hey, just a little not-so-fun fact for you. Did you know that billionaires gave over a billion dollars in the 2022 midterm election, according to new reporting that just came out? Yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there while we uh, move on to our legislative updates. We're going to be talking all the good, the bad, and the ugly coming out of Montgomery. And let's start with LGBT rights. Uh, on Tuesday, May 16th, hundreds of demonstrators attended a march for LGBTQ rights in downtown Montgomery. The event was put on by LGBTQ Action. The march started at the Alabama Supreme Court and ended at the State House. Uh, and this comes on the heels of a, a large demonstration here in Huntsville last Sunday. Uh, and we're going to hear more about that in a moment. So organizers put together the march because they said, quote, legislators are attacking our trans community in sports, education, training, public conversations and spaces and now through drag bans as a means to criminalize gender expression. Organizers asked allies to attend the march, study the legislation, and reach out to their legislators. Organizers pointed to multiple bills before the Alabama legislature, HB 405, the so-called What is a Woman Act, which they said will erase trans, intersex, and non-binary identities. HB 401 is the so-called drag ban, labeling drag performances as quote-unquote obscene under the law, which comes with all sorts of restrictions. HB 354 is the so-called Don't Say Gay bill, which would prohibit any classroom instruction or even discussion related to gender identity or sexual orientation in public schools K-8. through HB 7, which I spoke about last week, is the so-called Divisive Concepts bill, 
which would prevent honest conversations about history, racism, bias, homophobia, and transphobia. HB 312 is another divisive concepts bill which prohibits training and education at both the K-12 and higher ed levels and allows educators to be disciplined or terminated for discussing any so-called divisive topics. And then HB 261 is the anti-trans athlete bill which applies to two-year and four-year colleges. Uh, so before I get into some details about the divisive concepts bill, Tahira, you were there. Uh, give us a picture of the event. Um, well, I attended the demonstration on Sunday here in Huntsville. We had really excellent turnout. Over 200 people showed up. Wow. Um, really positive response. Lots of youth, lots of families, which is exactly what we want to see. We want our families in the area to feel seen and right. feel supported. Um, I really want to give a shout out to the Alabama Trites, uh, Trans Rights Action Coalition, TRAC, ALTRAC. Um, you can check them out at altrac.works. Um, they have been doing really excellent work getting legislators engaged, getting people matched up with their legislators, happy, helping people figure out even what they want to say. Right, right. Um, as well as analyzing these bills really, really deeply. Um, you know, the, the 405 What is a Woman Act is not just about defining what is a man or a woman, but actually turns us back in time, right? So even people who have successfully gotten their gender marker change have uh, transitioned socially, have transitioned medically, um, and have established their new identity under 405, all of that work could be undone. Wow. Wow, I didn't realize that. I didn't so realize it's actually it putting a huge number of people at Oof. risk. It's not just about changes moving forward. It's right. about turning the clock back. Right. And that just seems so punitive and nasty and mean-spirited, uh, in my opinion. Well, that's because it is ultimately about not wanting to see certain people in public. Right. Right. It's It's very... The only thing that's obscene to me is the bullying that's coming out of the Alabama legislature. Um, and I wanted to highlight something from AO.com's article a few weeks back about the divisive concepts bill, because I think it's pretty revealing about the mindset we're talking about here. In a recent interview with Right Side Radio, Representative Ed Oliver, who is the sponsor of this divisive concepts bill, Oliver claimed the critical race theory, quote, sexualized and racialized children. In previous discussions about his bill, he claimed teachers were, quote, proselytizing children to become socialist and communist. Wow. He would not give specific examples of such lessons, naturally. Because they don't exist. Right, right. <laughs> um, who knew little Johnny was being converted to communism at their local public school? Ed Oliver knew. Ultimately... He says, ultimately, the reason that the left wants to push CRT amongst little kids is simply they want to sexualize them. They want to racialize them at an early age to make them easy to manage, pure and simple, he said. I hate to say a way to create more left-wingers that are woke and will do the things that the left wants them to do, but that's exactly what it is, to divide people, to make groups fight each other so they're easier to manage. That is what a state legislator thinks teachers are doing in our schools. Seems like uh, the pot calling kettle black to me. Yeah, I mean, if anyone is, is being divisive, 
right? I mean, to say that teachers and leftists want to sexualize children, that's what he thinks of educators. And I will point out the people that the the most t- term, the most times I've heard the term sexualized, it's been on the right wing radio like it's incessant. There's always it's always about trans. It's always about sexualization of children. I it's just they're just stuck on it, man. It does seem they're stuck on it. It does seem to be an obsession. Um, you know, and it's insulting to educators to to insinuate that's what they're doing in in our public school classrooms. And you know, it's also clearly what he thinks of the left. And just by the way, for the record. Most leftists I've ever known, and I mean real leftists, not liberals, which the right frequently and falsely conflates as the same, despite our major differences. Most leftists I've ever known are kind-hearted people who want a better world for all. More cooperation, more solidarity, more care, more dignity, more respect, and a real concern for the least of these. And I don't think I can say that about Representative Ed Oliver. Maybe it's projection, because I think of some folks and some churches who are proselytizing and sexualizing children, and they certainly aren't leftists. Just like I can think of some legislators who want to send public public tax dollars to these very same churches. It's also projection because dividing people by race and gender and other identities, making groups fight each other so they're easier to control, is exactly what folks like Representative Oliver do and exactly what those of us actually on the left oppose. I would also just like to point out these are the same churches that are marrying children to adults. Right. The vast majority of child marriages that happen in the U.S. happen in evangelical churches. Now, is that what he means by sexualizing children and proselytizing? I don't think so. But we on the left are opposed to dividing people by race and gender and identity. We stand for solidarity, not bigotry. We recognize that we as working people are the majority and that we have common interest in a more just, equitable, democratic society. We don't look down on people because of their race or their gender or orientation or ability or nationality or other aspects of a person. And you know, if this is the kind of stuff that Representative Ed Oliver is saying on the radio, I'd love to know what he says behind closed doors when he's among his like-minded friends. I mean, how wild must it be if that's what he's saying in public? Yeah, we had a uh, a, a great YouTube comment from Jeb here. And uh, what we're speaking about, uh, he was saying, all things Adam just listed is about to cost North Alabama literally tens of thousands of jobs when the Space Force moves to Colorado instead of Huntsville, which has been uh, cited from the administration, I believe, the anti-trans uh, laws, bathroom bills, stuff like that is... Uh, the abortion laws, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, yeah we're going to be talking right. about Space Command uh, later in the show when we talk a little bit of Tennessee Valley updates. Uh, but that's a great point, Jeb, and, and you're absolutely right. It's a national disgrace. And, you know, obviously the Alabama Republicans in the legislature have been very busy targeting LGBTQ folks to the extent that even acknowledging their existence in the wrong setting can get you in trouble. In my eyes, it is mean-spirited bullying against a small minority, partly as a cheap way to score political points, 
and partly as an expression of fundamentalist religion and other reactionary ideology. I also think it's a reaction to the increased acceptance of LGBTQ folks in our society, particularly among young people. It's an attack on freedom and human rights. And of course, it is a way to divide working class folks against one another while they pick our pockets and profit off our labor. As always, I come back to the answer is bigotry. The answer to bigotry is solidarity. An injury to one is an injury to all. We must reject the use of legislation to target marginalized folks in our community. We can't fall for divisive culture war that tries to pit straight folks against queer folks, just like we can't fall for the racism that tries to pit white folks against black folks, or the nativism that tries to pit native-born against immigrants. The overwhelming vast majority of the population are working class, and we have more in common as fellow members of the working class than we have differences. You don't have to fully understand everything about gender or sexual orientation to know that we should treat every human being with dignity and respect. Lord knows I don't understand everything. I'm a straight white guy born and raised in the South, and that obviously limits my perspective. I don't know what it's like to be LGBTQ, and I never will. But I do have gay and trans loved ones, friends, co-workers, and comrades, and chances are, if you're listening, you do too. There's no need to fear or attack what you don't understand. Just let people live their lives, be kind, and reflect on how our society treats the least of these among us. And, uh, and there's a lot of, uh, a lot of time being spent on a tiny minority of our population targeting them with these ads when we're with these laws, when we're, you know, in the top 10 most deadliest place to work, our education system is extremely low ranked. Like they, they could pretty much choose, uh, any kind of topic to advance Alabama, but they spend their time and energy and our money really, um, uh, mm-hmm. On legislating a, a tiny minority of people uh, and trying to tell teachers how to teach like uh, they're not gonna I don't see any of these uh, senators or, or legislatures lining up for sub duty uh, at a public school right. uh, it's it's a hard job and it doesn't get paid near enough and uh, and I don't think heaping uh, arbitrary rules is going to end up helping our education system in the least bit myself Right. I mean, instilling fear in educators. And that's what this is about, right? It's instilling fear about what you can and can't say, what you can and can't teach, um, for dare not offend certain conservative elements. Um, And that's scary. I would also like to say it's about making queer and gender nonconforming people feel alienated and alone. Mm -hmm. It is making sure that kids who are coming up through the system never see anybody who is like them, never verbalize the feelings that they are struggling with inside of them, never see any representation, never know the possibilities that are out before them. Right. 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 It is about making sure that you stay in a box. Yeah. I I mean, to the extent that, like, you're not even supposed to see yourself reflected in a book as if that's somehow damaging to children never mind yourself what about your family right right 
it, it's really it's just mean spirited to attack families like this and some of the bills that are coming out in Alabama and across the country really um, you know Florida is doing some of the same stuff it's uh, it's obviously a concerted effort and, and like you said Ben it's it's a it's a priority that they have made when Alabama ranks at or near the bottom on every single quality of life metric that you can measure you name it we're at or near the bottom you want me to believe LGBTQ folks are the reason we're so poor? The reason our schools are struggling? The reason our jails are overfilled? Give me a damn break. And while we're talking about what's happening in the state capitol, let's check in with our friends from Alabama Arise for their legislative update that they had at the start of the week. Uh, and that'll get us going transition in, into some other legislation happening in Montgomery. Uh, ben, can you play that for us? Yes, indeed. Hi, my name is Akisha Anderson, and I serve as Policy and Advocacy Director for Alabama Arise. I'm excited to be here today to talk to you about what happened at the Alabama State House last week, the week of May 8th. So last week, there were several pieces of legislation that moved, some, legis some pieces that we are concerned about, some pieces that we are excited about. So we will begin with the bad news. So last week in the senate two pieces of legislation that have the ability to advance this seemingly goal of defunding public education did advance through committee so sb202 which is the price act has the ability to divert about 600 million dollars out of the education trust fund um, by giving parents money to essentially send their children to schools, alternatives other than public schools. And so that is a piece of legislation that Alabama Rise is closely watching and is in opposition to. Similarly, the Alabama Accountability Act, which was passed years ago, is back before the legislature this time seeking to be amended to raise the cap by about $20 million of the amount of money that can possibly be spent. Um, under this act. So that is a total of about $620 million that could possibly be diverted out of the education trust fund um, to parents in enabling them to send their children to schools other than public schools. And so those are pieces of legislation that Arise is very concerned about and that we are closely monitoring as well as we are opposing. On the broader side, there was some good news this past week. So several pieces of legislation related to criminal justice reform were either up in committee this past week or slated to be voted on this past week. So let's start with SB 154, which is the driver's license bill. This piece of legislation was slated to be voted on um, on Thursday. Unfortunately, the legislature adjourned right before getting to this bill, but the good news is it is slated to be voted on on Tuesday of this week. So hopefully within just a few days, a few hours, the driver's license legislation will become law um, or will pass out of the legislature. So if you don't recall, SB 154 is the piece of legislation that will stop um, the automatic practice of suspending driver's licenses for unpaid traffic tickets, um, fines, and fees. And so that is something that Alabama Rise is in support of. That is something that we are closely monitoring and that we hope to see get over the finish line this week. Another really good piece of criminal justice legislation, HB 229, um, is a second chance bill 
for short. And this is a piece of legislation that will allow people that have been sentenced to life without parole under our three strikes law to have the ability to petition a court to be resentenced for a shorter amount of time. So that means that many people, hundreds of people that are serving life in prison, which is the second worst um, consequence other than the death penalty, these people will have the chance to possibly be resentenced for time served or, you know, for have the ability to serve less time um, and prove that we are all more than the worst thing we have ever done. So these are pieces of legislation that we are excited about. We hope to see them continue to move. And as they move, we will continue to keep you posted and updated on them. So if you do not already, please be sure to make sure that you pay attention to our bills of interest on our website. You can find that at alarise.org. And please pay attention to our action alerts and help us contact legislators throughout the week um, just on a host of different issues. So thank you so much. Take care. All right, y'all. Yeah, I really appreciate the work Alabama Rise is doing. Definitely check out their bills of interest section on their website. It's a great way to monitor the legislation. Uh, so we're going to talk about a couple bills here. Uh, I've got a couple to hear. It's got some inf- really uh, startling information about a, a bill that's passing through the legislature. I do want to shout out Alabama Appleseed Center for Law and Justice for their work to end debt-based driver's license suspensions, which impacts too many of our fellow working people. As you heard there, um, there is a bill that's going to address that. Um, and I think there's good news on that, right? Yes. So um, SB uh, 154 has officially passed both houses Ooh. and the Senate has even done their concurrence. Nice. So it is now headed to the governor's desk for signature. Awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask you all to contact your state rep and senator, but uh, that has already passed through. That is great. So I mean, contact Ivy. Contact Ivy's office and let her know you support this legislation. Absolutely. Yeah. Hit up the governor. Let her know uh, her signature is needed for that bill. Um, I think it's a very important bill because Alabama has been suspending the driver's license of anyone who cannot afford to pay a traffic ticket or anyone who misses a court hearing. And that includes not just criminal court, right. importantly. So that also includes civil cases. That also includes things like child support or child supervision hearings. Um, now, if you are somebody who cannot afford to pay your child support and you're getting pulled over and you find out your license has been suspended and your car is getting towed and you have another ticket you've got to take care of, how are you now supposed to get to work and how are you supposed to afford that right. care? How are you supposed to for- afford that support? Yeah, I if mean, you can't work if yeah. you can't get to work. How are you supposed to take care of these fees? Yeah, we've gotten to the point where we can't even uh, exist to feed the machine at a certain point because uh, they won't let people out of jail long enough to work. Yeah, to feed the machine that, <laughs> that they right. because extraction <laughs> is their primary objective. Right. That extraction is their primary objective. Right. Right. And, and you know, how is this keeping people safer? to take their driver's license away over a missed traffic ticket or, you know, unpaid child support, unpaid uh, civil court fees. It's taking away people's legal right to operate a vehicle in a state like Alabama where we have no public transportation, really, of of any significance. I think um, Arise Now has their uh, transport coalition, and they estimate that something like 16% of Alabamians do not have access to regular transportation. Wow. 
Wow. And I bet you if you take a look at that 16% and then look at the poverty rate in the state, there's going to be a lot of crossover there, right? Because Absolutely. it's so difficult to survive in Alabama without transportation. Um, and that's why public transportation is such a critical need in our state. And it's why, you know, backwards policies like this of taking away 170,000 people, their driver's license, 170,000 people, that's a lot of people. And 95% of all suspended licenses in the state are because of unpaid traffic ticket debt, not because of driving, you know, malfeasance, not because they did something wrong on the roads and are like an unsafe driver. No, it's because they have debt. So that is good news. I'm actually glad to hear the good news that this bill has passed both chambers. It's headed to the governor. So hit up the governor, let her know you want that signed. Good to see a little bit of progress. Um, from a good bill back to a bad one, though, HB 209 is still working its way through the legislature. Uh, this is the bill that would criminalize assistant, assistance with absentee voting. I put out a statement with the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition recently asking all union brothers and sisters to join me in opposing this bill, which is anti-democratic voter suppression based on an imaginary problem. And we should not risk a felony by helping people exercise their rights. Really hoping this bill can be defeated, and I appreciate the Alabama Voting Rights Coalition, League of Women Voters Alabama, and everyone else who's been fighting this terrible legislation. And there is a public hearing on Tuesday, May 23rd, so there's still time to stop this bad bill. And then there's, uh, did you have an update on the voting rights bill? I just wanted to say, I want people to understand that this voting rights bill criminalizes even simply taking a sealed stamp envelope and putting it in a mailbox for somebody else. It is wild. I mean, a piece of paper can become illegal under this act. Helping people, giving someone a ride. Helping someone read the form. It. it and I think uh, if you missed our interview uh, a week or two back, we talked to someone from Faith in Action Alabama. And we also talked to uh, a student at the University of Alabama about how this would criminalize the work they're doing. Uh, and the gentleman from Faith in Action Alabama, Mr. Clark, he had a great point that at the end of the day, this is criminalizing helping people. And since when should we ever do that? Uh, so definitely calling on folks to join me in opposing HB 209. Uh, we've got to protect our right to vote, folks. Uh, but there's more bad legislation, unfortunately. There's the anti-loitering bill, which would further criminalize homeless folks and other things. So you've got yes. some updates there. So I have actually been in the state house talking to some legislators about HB 24. I have been emailing committees to talk about HB 24. So what HB 24 does is it amends the existing public loitering statute, which is already unconstitutional, by the way, uh, because it criminalizes panhandling. So people who are in public rights of way and are actively soliciting for money right? That's okay. panhandling. What HB 24 does is take the panhandling component out of the bill and allows officers to arrest people just because they exist in a public right of way. Wow. That means your right to picket. Right. If you're blocking a sidewalk, if you are blocking an entrance, that is a reason to arrest you for loitering. If you are 
in a protest and you're participating in a march, if you're exercising your First Amendment rights, that's a reason to pick you up. If you are unsheltered and you are just trying to sit in the shade for a little while and minding your own business, that mm -hmm. is a reason to pick you up and take you to jail. That is just wild. I mean, and it kind of reminds me of the anti-riot bill we were dealing with last year that thankfully failed. Uh, and here's yet another attempt to criminalize protest and freedom of assembly while also targeting, you know, the most marginalized folks in our community, the folks who are without any shelter. Right. Um, and I want to make it clear, the lawmakers who are introducing this bill and pushing this bill through know that it's unconstitutional. They've been told it's unconstitutional. They want that fight. Right. They want to spend your tax dollars fighting this out in the courts. Um and, you know, as we've talked about on the show before, Alabama legislators have never been deterred by the constitutionality of their own legislation. Uh, and I think that's a good point that, you know, in some cases they welcome that fight and they want to bring it to the courts. They want to be on TV, right? They want to be on WVNN, right-wing radio. They want to be uh, in right-wing media uh, glowing up about this, you know, this fight that they're taking to the courts, all to hurt people, to hurt people. It's 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 a mean spirited uh, piece of legislation. Yeah, I don't know if you mentioned. I was looking at the comments, but uh, if you're wearing a mask and you are congregating in a public place, uh, or loiter or remain in a public place, you can be uh, under this law, I guess, arrested or or so. So uh, that's uh, interesting. Masks are pretty common these days. And uh, just being in public in a mask should not uh, be in the law here, right. I don't think. <laughs> and so I want to point out this is why the work that we've been doing on SB 13 is so important. HB 13, sorry, excuse me, let me get the bill number right, um, which is our summons in lieu of arrest bill. Okay. We want to make sure that whenever we can let people go with simply a summons and yes. not have to put them under custodial arrest, that is what officers are doing. We yes. do not need to keep filling up our jail. So I find it really interesting that the, the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing when it comes to these kinds of policies, right? right? Because HB 13 is driven by police, actually. It's driven by the jails who know that we are filling up, who know that we are unnecessarily arresting people. Right, they can't handle And don't want the, the escalation. Problem. Right. They don't want the cost to the taxpayers of keeping these people incarcerated for nothing. Wow. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's... The idea that you can't wear a mask in a and gather in a public place, you know, well, why might you wear a mask? Well, you could wear a mask because you're worried about disease, uh, right? We just went through a pandemic. Or you could be wearing a mask just because of the hell of it, right? Because you can, because you're in America and you should be able to wear a mask if you want to wear a mask. Because we're in the middle of pollen season. Right. We're in pollen season. I have terrible allergies, okay? Uh, I'm not the only one. Uh, why else would you wear a mask? Well, I don't know. Maybe if you're at a demonstration of some kind, particularly in a place like Alabama, and you're on the more progressive side of things, well, there might be some folks on the other side of the aisle documenting you being there to try to dox you, to try to get you terminated at your job. There could be, you know, far-right lunatics who do monitor protest and, and gatherings to see to document left-wing activists that's a real phenomena that's that really happens and so there are plenty of reasons why someone might want to wear a mask and gather in a public place uh and it's just uh it's 
It's anti-freedom. Yeah, and I've got the bill pulled up here. And uh, uh, some of the defenders will say, well, they're giving tools to law enforcement to help people off the street. And there is a section that specifically says an officer may instruct any person in violation uh, of the subdivision to peaceably exit. Um, and they may drive them to a shelter um, if they feel like it. I guess they can still arrest them as well. They if may they, or may not. They may <laughs> arrest them. Um, and then uh, the they may ruin I, your life. They may help <laughs> they, you. Gotta protect uh, that officer discretion, man. I guess right. before this law, they didn't have the option to help you at all, apparently. So uh, I'm glad they codified it that a, a cop may not have to arrest you for this stuff. But uh, and the the other one I wanted to mention uh, was uh, they will not it one one section of the bill no person shall stand in the roadway or for in the purpose of soliciting a ride. So no hitchhiking. Don't try and get around for free. Uh, that's I mean of course it is dangerous to be on a highway uh, or or any street. But this covers a lot of places that are just public places public roadways and uh so that's also going to be under this bill as well so as adam says a lot of that is reflected from the failed uh riot legislation last year i think yeah they were just working on this stuff weren't they yeah. yes they were yeah and yeah it's interesting they they changed strategies i guess they went from uh, going after rioters to going after the homeless and and panhandlers uh, to try to accomplish some of the same goals. Uh, it's really shameful. And again, I, I see it as an attack on freedom. And these are so-called small government folks. These are folks who say, don't tread on me. Uh, don't tread on me unless, right? You're wearing a mask on the uh, sidewalk. And I just want to point out <laughs> you get treaded, apparently. Apparently. another little nugget about HB 24 and how HB 24 is becoming law. So HB 24 was introduced by Representative Reed Ingram. Okay. And he got it sent to his committee, county and municipal governments, instead of the judiciary, because he chairs the committee for oh, county and municipal governments. How convenient. That's a lot easier. So it's a, a lot, lot easier, easier yeah, to get your bill on the agenda and get that favorable report and get that vote out when you control the committee. Right. And when the rules committee gets to decide behind closed doors what goes where. Right. Right. Even if it has nothing to do really with your committee, even if it's not the appropriate place. Uh, wow. Well, thanks for that little nugget. And um, even if, you know, again, I've been working specifically on this bill. I mm -hmm. have talked to every legislator on the committee. I've emailed every legislator on those committees to say this is a bad bill. This is an unconstitutional bill. And no response. Oh, I can't imagine how it would any of it or a vast majority of it can be constitutional. Well, honestly, it's like, you know, we say that, so but uh, the, the way things are going in this country, uh, nothing would surprise me coming out of our mm. court system these days. So. And they bring up sodomy uh, multiple times in this, just so y'all know. Wow. <laughs> Again, with that theme, right? Interesting. Like, <laughs> um, I don't know how that's related, but um you know, there it's you soliciting go. prostitution or sodomy, which is oh. a, a very ancient Delightful. term. Right. So, yeah, it's like they just wanted to shoehorn. Okay, in that so one. if they can target more people, that's very interesting because, of course, our sodomy laws have also largely been judged unconstitutional because right. they target people with same-sex attraction. 
Yeah, so here it is, the don't tread on me, small government, pro-freedom, <laughs> Republicans attacking your rights to exist, your rights to travel. As long as you don't to... go outside, I think you're good with this bill. Like, you won't have any problems with this bill. Yeah, don't go never outside. Leave, never leave your house. Well, don't, don't get TikTok either, right? You're not supposed to have TikTok. Uh, they're against that because it's Chinese. Um, really, it's... Uh, the last bill I had in before we get to some education stuff is... Uh, SB 242, and this is the Landlord-Tenant Act. It would amend the Landlord-Tenant Act to remove the cap on security deposits, which um, is bad news for tenants. And Alabama already has some of the weakest tenant protections in the country. Absolutely. Very weak protections for tenants. Uh, And here's one of like the very few, is that there is a cap on security deposits, and they want to get rid of that. Uh, they want to protect their precious landlords, uh, their sweet little landlords that they have to protect. Who aren't even based in Alabama. Let's talk about that. Mm. Let's talk mm. about that. Let's talk about the private equity from Nashville, from Atlanta, right. from Chicago, New York, that is bringing dollars in and sweeping up private residential housing to rent it back out to us. So none of that wealth is actually benefiting the community. Right. Right. And you've got like Blackstone and uh, you've got these these mega corporations and big finance that is buying up housing, out of state investors coming in. And we're seeing that a lot in Huntsville. And, and, you know, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that when we get to Huntsville stuff. But uh, that's bad news. Really just uh, interesting that that's going to be your priority to remove security deposit caps for tenants. I don't know. I guess uh, those legislators feel they were elected to protect landlords. Just quite the shame. So I did want to transition into education legislation because there's a lot happening uh, with education. Last week was a really busy week with education legislation and committee hearings. There was less movement this week, uh, which frankly is probably a good thing. The Alabama legislature will reconvene on Tuesday, May 23rd for its 24th day of the regular legislative session. Next week will be a three-day week. There are only seven legislative days left in the 2023 regular session. So let's buckle up and see if we can survive the rest of the session without too much damage. Public schools are the cornerstone of a community and critical to a democratic society. And yet across the country, and right here in Alabama, public education is under attack. We've already mentioned efforts like the Divisive Concepts Bill, which directly targets educators and their ability to teach truthfully, while also pushing offensive, ridiculous narratives about what's happening inside public school classrooms. As you heard in the Arise update, there are multiple voucher-style privatization bills advancing in the legislature. More on that in a moment. There's a renewed push for improving pay for education support professionals, or ESPs. Uh, Definitely support that. These are the support staff who help our school systems function, from the custodians and cafeteria workers to bus drivers and special education aides. Unlike certified educators like teachers, counselors, and librarians, or like school nurses, there is no state salary matrix for support staff. There's no state minimum salary. There's no guaranteed step raises or a step raise policy. There's no roadblocks to outsourcing or privatization of their jobs. 
We've seen how Huntsville City Schools has been a pioneer in this sort of privatization, outsourcing hundreds of support staff jobs to temp staffing agencies like SPUR. Hiring and retention is a major problem, especially if and when folks can find better pay at the local McDonald's. Many support staff are doing it for the benefits, like the PHIP healthcare and the state pension, which of course outsourced employees don't have. A lot of times these folks work for the schools to have benefits and then work second and third jobs to be able to make ends meet. So the Alabama Education Association is making a push for a state minimum of 15 per hour. This was found to be highly offensive by the creeps at Right Wing Rag 1819 News. But I'm going to wait until Jacob is back next week before we put them on blast because I don't want him to miss out on that. That is right up his alley. This is one of his wedding gifts. Uh, so, yeah, we're going to save that one for you, Jacob. Um, next we love week. you. Yeah. Yeah, hope you're having a great time. Hope you're having a great time. Next week, you can rant and rave at the 1819 Creeps. He'll be all pent up, too. It'll be like a whole, yeah, a it'll whole be fun. week's worth. Yeah. So it'll be double. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> So, you know, the Education Trust Fund budget has a record amount of revenue this year, and everyone wants a piece of the pie. There's been all sorts of pork projects proposed. Governor Kay Ivey even wanted to fund a water park with education dollars. And then, as head of the Retirement Systems of Alabama, David Bronner put it, there's killing the future with tax cuts. Last year, the 2022 legislative session passed 18 tax cuts, costing the ETF budget $160 million per year, or $1.6 billion over the next 10 years. The 2023 legislature has introduced more than 20 ad additional tax cuts, none of which have revenue to replace them. The House unanimously passed HB 115 and 116, costing the Education Trust Fund $82 million per year. That's $820 million over the next 10 years. The cut to the state income tax on overtime, which is Anthony Daniels' bill that we've discussed previously, that would be about $40 million per year. Elimination of the grocery tax would result in a $600 million blow to the education budget. Now, Alabama has the second lowest tax revenue per capita, the lowest if you include the lottery. And I agree with Dr. Bronner that this makes for a financial disaster in the coming years. And now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for ending regressive taxes that disproportionately hurt working folks. Alabama's tax system is both highly inadequate to fund essential services while also highly regressive, with too much of the burden borne by the poor and the working class. We're all for removal of the grocery sales tax, and I'm not going to turn down a tax cut on overtime pay. But without replacement revenue, there are consequences. We have to reject this devil's choice, that the only way to get modest tax relief for some workers is to promise austerity for others. Relieving the tax burden on the poorest among us shouldn't mean cuts to our public schools. The Alabama legislators are presenting us with a false dichotomy. There are numerous ways they could raise more than enough revenue to pay for these tax cuts while protecting funding for education and other essential services. For one, they could tax the wealthy elites, tax the ruling class, you know, the folks who can most afford it, Alabama legislators could close tax loopholes that benefit the richest among us. They could end the federal income tax deduction. We could look at the so-called timber land 
that is taxed at far, far lower rates than the land your home sits on and at lower rates than timberland in neighboring states. There's a lot of needed reform to our backwards tax system. But even if they couldn't muster that political will, even if they were too cowardly to dare risk offending the oligarchs, they could still generate billions in additional revenue without tax reform. Alabama legislators could legalize gambling, like casinos and sports betting. Alabama could legalize recreational marijuana. And Lord knows the first state in the South to do it will be booming. Alabama could do what folks have been asking for since before I was born, which is to establish a lottery, like all of our neighboring states. I believe Alabama is actually the last state in the Union that does not have a state lottery. Wow. Wow. Yeah, uh, these are all pretty popular things, I would say, too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I have also been told by some of the people who work at A&M that Alabama has some of the best soil for cannabis uh, cultivation. Oh. We have a great agricultural uh, setup in our uh, colleges and universities. We have agricultural universities. Uh, we have a lot of farmers. We have good soil. We have Gulf Shores. We've got the mountains in Mentone. I'm just saying, if Alabama were the first state to do it, it would be booming. And we would be leading the South in a lot of ways. We would be an island in the South. Right. But, you know, is that what's on the table? Of course not. And you can say there's drawbacks to all those policies I just listed. And that's fine to discuss, because of course there are. Right? The lottery has its issues. But let's not pretend like the legislature doesn't have plenty of options on the table. We don't have to accept the exchange between a promise of modest tax relief for some for a promise of education austerity for others. And on the subject of gutting the education trust fund, there's a push for an expansion to private school scholarships under the Alabama Accountability Act. They want to lift the cap by another $20 million. That's $20 million more in private school scholarships, that much more public money into private pockets, that much more in tax write-offs for the wealthy donors. Even worse is the Price Act, sponsored by the state senator from my district, unfortunately, Republican Larry Stutz. And by the way, Google Larry Stutz lawsuit, just for some interesting reading, you know, in case you're bored. The Price Act would be a full-scale voucher program. Check out this testimony from my former APSO sister, Allison King, who's with the Alabama Education Association. This is from the Ed Policy Committee hearing last week on the Price Act. Thank you, Madam Chairman. Um, our most glaring concern with the Price Act is that there is no overarching accountability or oversight of taxpayer dollars. In fact, nothing is required in this bill that the money be spent on education at all, much less quality education. Um, Price's online parent payment portal is an ideal setup for fraud. In fact, the bill itself addresses fraud and says that only when it's substantial will it be dealt with. That's on line 436. Because the overwhelming majority of parents who are receiving these vouchers already have their children in private school, they can use this money on pretty much anything they want. It could be used for new iPads on line 531, ACT or SAT prep courses on line 536, Space Camp on Line 520, or even Travel Ball on Line 513. These are all allowable expenses under the law. Um, talk about double dipping. The law also says that parents can use the AAA money that's already in place for private school tuition and then also receive the voucher for their 
they're the, under the Price Act as well. No public school student right now receives double dollars. And there's zero oversight and accountability for these education service providers. All that is required of them is to sign up on a website, not directly pay kickbacks, and give a receipt that's in line 572 of the bill. That's all. There's no review of the curriculum, services, materials, or anything else. Anyone can get online and say that they're an education service provider and receive the money. I have a link to the, um, how this has worked in the state of Arizona, which a lot of this is being based off of. I'd be happy to share with you, but their state superintendent was very clear about what a major problem this is. All of our per current public schools have required accountability for funds, achievement, and more. Why would we not require that of this as well? I work for AEA, yes, but I spent 10 years as a classroom teacher and school administrator, and I know directly the impact that this would have on our schools. Our communities are built around strong public schools, and if we continue to siphon dollars out of our public school systems, we are hurting our communities all the way around and hurting our families and hurting our students. Thank you for your time. Great job, Ms. King. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Allison. Uh, really appreciate your testimony there. Proponents of school vouchers claim that the tax money should follow the child. Now, nowhere else do we take this approach or follow this logic. My tax money for roads doesn't follow my car. When I disagree with the local police force, I don't get a home security savings account as an alternative choice. Nobody asked how I feel when my tax money funds wars all over the globe, and I wasn't given the choice to opt out of it. The push for school choice is about putting public money into private pockets while pushing reactionary segregationist ideology backed by a coalition of capitalist vultures and bigots and religious extremists of various stripes. Most of it financed by a handful of billionaires. And the results of these experiments are unsurprisingly harmful for students, educators, families, and communities. Call me radical, but what if, what if we ensured every child an excellent, free, appropriate public education instead? Maybe, just maybe, we could try that after decades of sabotage through corporate reform and privatization. The profiteers offer choice in the marketplace as a replacement for rights in the community. They don't want an education system with guaranteed rights. They want an education marketplace with consumer options, which, like all consumer options, depends on the numbers in your bank account and the amount of green paper in your wallet. And when they say school choice, they really mean the school can choose its students. Educating children is not the same as producing widgets. And given how inequitable and dysfunctional privatized healthcare is, just as an example, why would we believe this will work better for the many and not just a few? It won't, of course, but that's the thing. These folks don't actually believe in a society or a public or a community, only individuals and their money. Educators, parents, Students and communities must unite to defend the teaching profession, the resources our schools rely on, and ultimately the very concept of public education. And with that, folks, we're going to take our last break. Uh, when we get back, we're going to talk some local stories, including one local city paying millions of dollars for chain stores 
and some discussion of Huntsville and their ranking as a city. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. There's a lot of talk about a shortage of workers, but that's not the case with IBW558. We have provided our customers over 3,000 workers and performed over 3 million man hours in a pandemic year. With 8,000 OJT hours, 900 classroom hours, OSHA 30, and a state license, our members receive the equivalent of a master's degree. That's what makes IBW558 the right choice for your electrical needs. Look us up at Facebook or at IBW558.org. Support for this program is provided by the International Association for Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama. Learn more at IAMAW44.org. Support for this program also comes from the Iron Workers, Local 477. So if you are looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, uh, they tell me that if you need to know what those mean, then you will. Uh, or if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, short or long term, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer, and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Ironworkers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334 or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net and make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. .org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. The Laborers International Union of North America, Local 366, is proudly recruiting North Alabama workers to work construction and nuclear plant maintenance. If you're interested, please contact Donna at their training center to start the process. That phone number is 256 415 Again, that phone number is 256-415-7452. No experience is needed. Free training is offered, but you must be able to pass a background check and a drug test. Local hiring that grows our community with good-paying jobs that have benefits is their mission. Live better. Work union. Local 366. Feel the power. Support for this program also comes from the Mid-South Council of Retail, Wholesale, and Department Store Union. Learn more at rwdsu.info. I'm attorney Tommy Senior. When you've been injured and need help, 
You need a lawyer who's with you. Senyard Law. You need attorneys always available to take care of you. Senyard Law. And keep you in the loop. It's your case. You need to know what's happening. Senyard Law. And never a charge to meet with us to evaluate your case. Senyard Law. A new firm, but an old name. One that will stay with you every step of the way. Senyard Law. The name with proven results. Do you work in an auto manufacturing plant? Are you tired of taking pride in your work without getting the respect you deserve? Consider joining the fight to unionize. Auto workers across the industry are coming together because with a union, we can negotiate for the pay, benefits, and security that we deserve and can help sustain our families. In union plants, workers bargain for long-term wage increases, competitive bonuses, and more affordable benefits. You can join the growing wave of organizing today. Find out more and contact us at Uniting Auto Workers on Facebook or contact UAW Region 8 in Lebanon, Tennessee by going to www.uawregion8.net. That's www.uawregion, the number eight, dot N-E-T. A better future is ours. All right, folks, you are still listening to The Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio show. My name is Adam Keller. I'm here with Ben and Tahira. Special episode today. Uh, shout out, Jacob. Hope you're enjoying yourself. Uh, really appreciate everyone tuning in this morning. Appreciate the comments, as always, in the YouTube channel. Uh, really appreciate y'all who are participating, who are contributing, who are just tuning in, maybe even for the first time. I uh, really appreciate that. I want to have a couple of uh, plugs here before we riff on some local stories. Uh, I did want to mention that Labor Notes is, of, co- of course, hosting a series of online trainings, uh, and they have a great stewards workshop coming up next week on Just Cause with the great labor lawyer, Bob Schwartz. So check that out at labornotes.org. And then there's an event that I just uh, was turned on to a couple of days ago uh, happening in Birmingham at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. There's a community town hall on organizing for worker and healthcare justice in Central Alabama. National Nurses United is involved, AFL-CIO is involved. Uh, there was quite a, you know, we did share it on our Facebook page. If you want to go check that out at the Valley Labor Report, it's Tuesday, May 23rd, 5 to 7 p.m. So nurses, uh, folks who work in the healthcare industry, those of you in central Alabama, check out that community town hall. It seems like it'll be a great event. Uh, we definitely love our nurses and we love National Nurses United. And don't forget our new weekly series called Shop Talk, which airs online Thursday mornings. Again, Shop Talk is dedicated to labor education, history, and training. You can check it out Thursdays at 9.30 a.m. Central, or you can check out the podcast a few days later. If you're not on our email list at tvlr.fm, definitely sign up for that to stay up to date on the Valley Labor Report and all, all of the work that we're doing to highlight the labor movement in the Tennessee Valley and across the South. 
And again, you can leave us voicemails throughout the week at 844-899-TVLR. You can buy our merch, like our cool new shirts, at tvlr.fm. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share to the Valley Labor Report. So uh, in just a couple of minutes remaining here on FM Radio, just a reminder that at 11 o'clock we'll be online only on YouTube and Facebook. We've got an interview coming up with AFGE's Public Policy Director to talk about the debt limit crisis and what's going on there, so that should be a good one. Uh, with a couple of local stories to talk about, I wanted to mention my town, the city of Athens. Uh, you know, it's become my town. I've lived there for a few years now. It's not where I'm from originally, but, you know, that's where I live, city of Athens. And they did something really interesting in their city council meeting a while back. I found it buried in an article. The, the article from the Athens News Courier was about local church opposing a cigar lounge downtown. Uh, God forbid someone have fun somewhere. There will always be a church there to smash that out. Uh, that's local politics for you in the South, for sure. Uh, but during the regular meeting, the city council voted four to one in favor of an incentive package for Noon Athens P3 LLC for the proposed development of TJ Maxx, Ross, Ulta Beauty, Rack Room Shoes, and Five Below. The resolution stated that the development is estimated to bring more than 125 new jobs and generate approximately $20 million in annual taxable sales. Now listen to this. The city will pay the company, quote, in order to facilitate the development, $1.9 million when the five stores open, an additional $1.9 million when the stores are open for one year, and a final payment of $1.9 million at two years. The total amount the city will pay out is $5.7 million. The city of Athens is paying $5.7 million for a few chain stores. And, you know, I couldn't help but have a few questions. How long until the tax revenue makes up for this payment? How many of these supposed 125 jobs actually pay a living wage? Do locally owned small businesses get such treatment? Why aren't there incentives like this for worker co-ops and more you know, community wealth building. Are there any strings attached for these incentives? Got a lot of questions about it. So I actually did a little math for you, Adam. And I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm not a math person. So City of Athens has a 3% sales tax rate. That okay. is City of Athens, not Limestone County, not the state of Alabama. They right. each levy their own sales and use tax. So just looking at City of Athens revenue... They're going to be pulling about six hundred thousand a year in sales tax from these businesses, supposedly. That supposedly, means, right? And this is we're, this is based on best their case scenario, right? That's their estimated revenue. That protection. is best case scenario. So that takes nine years of revenue to match what they're giving in incentives over these first three years. Wow. So that's a you know that's, that's just to break even. That's just to break even. That is just to break even. Uh, that is really interesting to me. And, you know, I think you also had mentioned that store managers at Ulta. Yeah. So I also started looking into the, some of the average salaries for these chain stores. Not one of them pays more than $15 an hour at the top end. 
Rob. Wow, wow, wow. Which means hourly, hourly associates that are part-time that are probably not even qualifying for benefits because right. that's how all of these chain stores and big box stores operate. They operate in skeleton crews. They extract as much as they can out of their workers. They stretch them as thin as possible. They give them salary. They give them schedules where they can't have a second or third job, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got to be totally available for your fifteen hours a week that you get assigned. Yeah. And how are we supposed to support our families off of that? Right. Right. And that's the thing. Like, you know, it's one thing to say we're going to do economic development. We're going to create a ton of good-paying jobs. That's not what this is, right? And so don't don't brag to me about the jobs you're creating at these chain stores. And it just really irritates me that this is what local government is doing with tax dollars. And I'm all for having more shopping Athens and shopping options in Athens. Like, I want to be clear about that. I, you know, I get tired of driving to Madison and Huntsville. All of my neighbors do too. But legally bribing developers seems weird, given Limestone is the fastest growing county in the state. And no doubt these places will be profitable without your little bribe yeah, that's slash a, development. That's what I was thinking. Like, in are these companies looking at uh, states that are going to pay them out, or are they looking at uh, where places are growing and they're going to move there either way? You know, right? Absolutely. It's like it, maybe maybe they are because they know that you can push on Alabama and somehow money's going to come out for your random development. <laughs> but uh, it's not a good president to set. Right. If you're like, yeah, we need a new Walmart, we'll just uh, get the uh, tax dollar wallet out and see what we can do with them or something. It's and like, just think on. about what a small business could do with $5.7 million. <laughs> right. Right? How many years of rent alone would that cover? How many right. salaries alone would that right. cover? Right. Decent, good salaries. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to be talking more local stories in overtime. That's where we're heading into overtime. We're going to talk to AFGE. Got some big labor stories from across the country, an eclectic mix. So stay tuned online to the live stream on YouTube or Facebook. All power to the workers. See y'all radio folks later.